listening to Law and Gospel on this Pericope Monday, which is, of course, July the 20th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and what we do on Mondays is take a look at at least one reading from the next Sunday, which is July the 26th, the 8th Sunday after Pentecost. And the readings are all really good. Deuteronomy 7, Romans 8, and Matthew 13. We're going to be taking a look at the ongoing pericope that has been happening for some weeks of Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. And I will say at the beginning that probably Romans 8:28 is one of the passages in the Bible most quoted by pastors. And why is that so? Because listen to it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Why is that such a comforting verse? Because those who are called, that is referring to those who have become Christians. And they are called by God. And how does he call them? By either being baptized or hearing the word of God they receive faith from the Holy Spirit to believe the promises that are connected to the death, resurrection, ascension, and life of Jesus Christ. Now, what's really interesting here is it's saying that everything that happens to us works for our good. Now, a lot of people can question that because... Here's the purpose of doing a sermon and a Bible study. It's to stop you from thinking like a human being, according to your old Adam, and instead understand how God thinks. For example, if you think according to your old Adam, what is good? Good are things that you like, that you appreciate that you consider to be a real blessing, like maybe getting a raise in your job, more money, or finding the house and you're able to buy it, or getting a car that really works well. All things work together for good in that sense. That's not how God thinks. For God... What is good? Well, take the worst event that has occurred in the history of the world, and that's the cross of Christ. It occurred on a Friday. Do you recall how we refer to that Friday? We refer to it as Good Friday. Now, how can we consider the death of an innocent man, and the suffering he went through as good. 
Because as Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. What's finished? The work that Jesus was sent for here on earth when he became incarnate as a human being to become sin for us and die. So once we understand the word good from God's point of view, we then understand it's not according to our old Adam. Things work for good. Something happened to us on the way to church service yesterday. I and my wife, we were in the car, and we ended up getting a flat tire on the right front tire of the car. And we were still about an hour and a half away from the church. It's about a three-hour drive. And we had left at four in the morning, and of course, there's no gas stations or anything open to repair tires. We were able to hobble back to a gas station where they had a kind of a store inside and gas pumps outside. Uh, Louise went in to talk to the manager, but he was unable to come out and help us fix our tire. So we really didn't know what we were going to do. Guess what happened? A gentleman drove up to the gas and was putting in gas, walked into the store, and when he walked out, he looked at us and said, do you need some help? And we told him about the flat tire. Well, we opened up the trunk, and of course, it didn't seem like there was a spare, but there were a number of things we took out of the trunk and found the spare at the bottom of the trunk. He unhooked the spare, uh, found also those devices that put the car up in the air, and I had no idea how they worked. And he went around to the front of the car, put it up in the air, took him about 10 minutes, and then it was really hard to take the lug nuts out. We had just had it inspected a few days before, and they had changed the tires around, and they really put the lug nuts on strongly. And the device to take the lug nuts off was kind of short. So what he did, finally, he put the device on the lug nut and then stood on the device. And he had to do that with three of the lug nuts before they became loose. Then he put the car up in the air a little higher, took off the wheel, put on the new wheel, and we thanked him very much. Uh, we gave him a tip for helping us out, and I refer to him as an angel that had come to us. We ended up getting to the church in time. Now, that, that was amazing because we had no idea really how to change and neither I nor Louise are strong enough to figure out how to take off the lug nuts. We don't even know the name of this man, but he was a wonderful person, and we thanked him very much for being an angel. Now, when we got the flat tire, I was not very happy with that because I thought for sure we were going to be late for the church. But God worked together for good. 
he had an individual get gas there. And except for one other person during the whole time, he was the only one that came to get gas. And he was happy enough to put on our new tire. And he seemed to know about the various implements, how they worked. So there was a great example where we had a terrible situation. We would have had to cancel the church services. And these are people, some of whom are coming for the first time since the virus. And we would not have been able to be there. But God worked it out for good. Now, there's a lot of times we don't see the good. But God, therefore, in his wisdom, never allows anything to happen to a Christian that he doesn't work out for good. We may not realize what that good is. We may not see it. We may learn about it when we get to heaven. But we trust that God does this. Why does he do that? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, that means that even before the foundation of the world, he knew which people would be saved. He also, (coughs) excuse me, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, when you hear the word firstborn, does that mean his resurrection? Well, there were other people who were risen from the dead, both in the Old Testament and in Jesus' ministry. So it's not talking about chronological firstborn, but preeminent firstborn, because he was the one who was raised from the dead. We then receive the gift of being conformed to the image of his son. In fact, that has already happened to you as a believer, because you also have been justified, which means you have been forgiven your sins. And that's found in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, that is, those of whom he was aware would become Christians, he also called. Now, how did he call them? He called them in the same way that he called the fishermen and the tax collector to be his disciples. Follow me. And in my life, he did that in my baptism. And I received faith to follow Jesus, which means not that I was able to be sinless, but that I had faith to believe his promises. And the next phrase talks about the promise. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's a legal term which, if a judge says you are justified, say you're arrested for some crime, say going over the speed limit, but the evidence doesn't show it, the judge says you are justified. That means you will not be held accountable 
for the crime for which you were arrested. You are free to go. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we'll have our final glorification when Judgment Day comes, and our bodies will be restored to our spirits in heaven, and we will be glorified. But that glorification has already begun. If you look at Ephesians, we have not only risen with Jesus Christ from the dead, we have now new life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we also are seated at the right hand of God while we're here on earth. How is that possible? That's possible because in Christ, wherever the head is, so also is the body. Paul says in verse 31, he asks, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, how do we know that God is for us? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, when we hear that, we kind of have the same question. We have that all things work together for good because our old Adam at times doesn't think it's good. Well, so also, does God graciously give us all things? There's many things that we might desire we don't get. So what does it mean that he graciously gives us all things? It's really part of the word grace, where we get that which we do not deserve. You don't deserve to be awakened in the morning, be able to get out of bed and walk around. The devil would wish that you had died, died in unbelief and therefore be part of his kingdom. But God graciously gives us all things in what he considers to be all things. Therefore, the devil still will try and attack you. The devil works on the basis of your works. How can you think you're going to heaven because you are such a sinner? That's what Paul says in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, the elect are those that became the firstborn, that he called, that he justified, that he has glorified. Believers in Jesus Christ. Who can bring a charge against you saying you're a sinner? The next phrase, it is God who justifies. The devil will never justify you. He gives you the impression that if you could stop sinning, you would be justified. But that is not true because nobody can stop sinning. So the devil brings a charge against you 
And in verse 34, who is to condemn? That means, does the devil give you the notion that you will be condemned eternally in hell? He can't. Because as Paul continues, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, also who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, did you get those three points? He died. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God. And when you read Ephesians, those are the blessings and the gifts that you have received. You have died to sin. You have been raised to a new life. And in Jesus, you are at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. You you don't need anyone else to intercede except for Jesus. You don't need a saint like the Virgin Mary, because her body is still in the grave. Yes, her spirit is with Jesus, but she does not have the authority to intercede for the saints. So verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, this is really important to understand. It doesn't say what can separate us from our love for Christ. Because there are times we don't love Christ. It's called sin. Sin is rebellion against the will of Jesus Christ. But even that doesn't separate us from the love of Christ to us. We may think that God has stopped loving us. And Paul gives some examples Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Christians experience all of those sufferings. Does that separate us from Christ's love to us? No. Because let's look at God's point of view toward us. And this is actually a quote. As it is written, for your sake, that's for the sake of Christ, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That really is a comforting verse. Because in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who are persecuted, for they are, of course, of God. The fact of the matter is, is our being killed all the day long recognizes us as a sheep of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we go back to what was said in another passage, that In all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors? 
Yes, regardless of the suffering that we endure, none of it comes to you except that which has been authorized by God. And when he authorizes it, he also knows that he will be making all things work together for your good, regardless of the suffering. Now, that occurred when we got a flat tire. We saw the good that came in the midst of a stranger who fixed our tire in such speed we were able to make the church service on time. That's why we are conquerors through him who loved us. Paul continues with the things that cannot separate us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we know these things are true, that neither death, the death of a loved one, as we attend the funeral, we hear the comfort of the gospel message, that as our loved one was a believer in Jesus Christ, we can be sure we will see him or her again when we pass from this veil of tears. Nor is there anything in life that will separate us from the love of God, regardless of the amount of suffering and persecution. Nor things, nor angels, nor rulers. Now, angels would refer, of course, to the evil angels. They cannot separate us from God's love. Nor rulers. Look at how many governmental rulers were unable to separate the apostles from speaking the message of Jesus Christ. Nor things present, nor things to come. Uh, regardless of how the virus is affecting you today, it cannot separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus towards you. Nor things to come. How many times do we worry about the future? But God is going to be with you, working all things out for your good. Nor powers, that term powers, can refer to powers that you cannot control. It could be weather, tornadoes. It could be people, powers in the government. It could be your own family, but they cannot separate you from God's love nor height, nor depth. You can be high one day, and you can be deep in sorrow. Neither will separate you from God's love towards you. And Paul then says it, nor anything else in all creation. Remember from previous verses, creation also fell with the sin of Adam and Eve. 
There were no tornadoes or hurricanes in the Garden of Eden. There were no volcanoes, etc. But creation is groaning, and it's looking forward also to Judgment Day, when all things will be restored to the time of the Garden of Eden. And that's why Paul ends this passage with verse 39. Nothing else will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what's the Bible verse that you can remember? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to take a look at a hymn that has many of the same themes in it that we just went through. The title of the hymn with Mark Smith, From God Can Nothing Move Me. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. Tune in tomorrow. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.